0: Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for Easter Sunday, April 21st, 2019. Today's podcast includes a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, Practice Dying, Live in Resurrection."
1: I'm sure you all don't know what all goes into planning a worship service, but it's a lot, and then so many things you really can't prepare for. <laughs> that was fun. Those kids are happy about today, and so am I, because there's an Easter egg on it. <laughs> Oh, me. That's good. He's at the CDC, yes? So he is at our child development center, and when we have chapel, it's very much a talkback kind of time. And anytime I ask a question, they answer, and that's how it works. And so I'm getting—you're uh, getting an experience of CDC chapel of I ask, you answer. But I- I'm gonna try not to ask any questions in my sermon today. <laughs> <laughs> so let me read to you. Um, It is the story for why we've gathered here today, and I'm going to read to you from John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple Who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for, supposing him to be the gardener? She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and she said to him, Teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I am not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told him, she told them, that he had said these things to her. I have seen the Lord too. Have you? You've heard the ancient story. (laughs) I love that. I really do. I really do. I feel like I'm in a conversation. You, You asked the question. I did. I just love it. You've heard the ancient story.
2: <laughs> my favorite
1: Everybody listened that well.
2: <laughs> my favorite season of the year is not Easter. As glorious as this day is, my favorite season is not Easter. My favorite season is not Christmas. As wonderful as Christmas is. My favorite season of the year is March Madness. (laughs) Is there anything better, especially than that first week of March Madness, when there are like, you know, three dozen basketball games going on every day? and people, every sports bar is full. People are stopped at work looking at games on their computer. They're supposed to be working, but they're not. Everybody is watching basketball. Everybody has filled out their brackets, and everybody has put down some underdogs that they're pulling for, and unless they're Playing your team, everybody's pulling for the underdog, right? Everybody loves those March Madness wins, especially when the small school gets to go to the big dance and pull off the big upset. Of course, there's probably no one bigger than the one last year when number 16, UMBC, who in the world? I actually had to go to to the Internet. I forgot who UMBC was. University of Maryland, Baltimore County, played against the mighty number one overall seed, University of Virginia. My apology to any Cavaliers fans here. And the Retrievers pulled off an unheard of 20-point victory over Virginia. Everybody, except for Virginia fans, were pulling for UMBC. What an incredible small-time upset against number one. I guess this year is kind of full circle when Virginia came back and won the whole thing. But probably nobody will remember this year's win that they don't connect it to last year's loss. You know, we love a come-from-behind win. We love an upset. But you know, maybe the greatest March madness upset of all times was Easter. Perhaps the greatest come-from-behind story there ever was. Jesus was defeated by the Romans, maybe by the devil himself, spent three days in the grave, which was just the Jewish official legal way of saying he was completely, utterly, fully, officially dead, and then came Easter Sunday morning, and what happened? Jesus was alive. I asked the question. That's exactly right. The greatest come-from-behind victory there ever has been. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. risen. Christ risen. Christ risen Christ is risen indeed. It would later lead the Apostle Paul to say, when this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, Then the saying that has been written will be fulfilled, death has been swallowed up by victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? For a dead man to rise again, to conquer the final enemy, must be the greatest upset in the history of upsets. So what have we misunderstood about Easter? You know, we love winners, and we love to win. We love those little guys who come back and beat Goliath. You know, we love the winners, and we love the power of the victory. And Christianity has rightly celebrated resurrection as the greatest victory of all times. Without it, there would be no Christian faith. So Christianity has celebrated But Christianity has also created out of that victory a theology of victory. We won. We're the winners. And everybody else? Well, we're the winners. You get it? We're the winners. A theology of victory shrouds itself in power, winning at all cost. I heard a minister say one time, referring to winning people for Christ. You see how we've built that into our evangelism. We win people for Christ. You know, it's about victory. And if we win them for Christ, then they were the losers wherever they were before we won them, right? So I heard a minister say one time about winning people for Christ and getting them into heaven. It doesn't matter how you get them there, just so you get them there. You understand that a theology of victory praises the winner and fights its crusades and hosts its inquisitions and promotes soul winning and all of that. And the means justifies the ends. Win at all cost. When we talk about King Jesus, when we talk about Jesus the conqueror, And so easily, spiritual power morphs into personal power and again into military power and political power and church and state get all mixed up together. And Constantine did this for us first when he took the sign of the cross and he put it on his swords and his shields and he marched into battle and he conquered nations and he slaughtered thousands with the sign of the cross. It's victory theology because we love power. But at some point, we would need to ask of that victory theology, is that really what Jesus meant? You know, isn't the whole idea of winners and losers about domination and not grace? Isn't it about hubris and not humility? Isn't winning over losing about power and not love and if we are using jesus as our champion to lord it lord power over all the losers haven't we missed something very important like humility and service and dying to one another It was the first Easter sermon I preached here. I didn't realize that until I went back and looked at my notes this week. And and I'm a little shocked that it was the first Easter sermon that I preached here because of uh, this thing that I said at the end of the sermon that I shocked a few folks. And, you know, like all the sermons that I, I, I give when I write my sermons, they build, you know, for four pages. And you need to be listening, you know. You need to be paying attention, you know, because the point always comes on page five, Okay, So I got to page 5 and I had been building and I had been making my argument and I had been, been building up for this moment. And I said in the first Easter sermon I preached here in 2001, on page 5, at the apex of the sermon. And what I've come to believe, what I've come to know is that I don't believe in resurrection yet. And right about there, there was a teenage girl and her jaw went, I mean, it was like a caricature. It just hit the floor. He said he didn't believe in resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. I guess she wasn't listening to the first four pages. You don't get to resurrection by going around death. You don't get to resurrection by beating down death. You don't get to resurrection by avoiding death. You can only get to resurrection by going through death. And what I said in 2001 and it's about the same for me today is I have not been through the darkness. I have personally not experienced despair. I have personally seen very little death. How could I know resurrection? And I guess the teenager who was there did not hear me quote a Presbyterian minister named Greg Craig Barnes who says of Easter resurrection No one is ever ready to encounter Easter until he or she has spent time in the dark place where hope cannot be seen. Easter is the last thing we are expecting, and that is why it terrifies us. This day is not about springtime and girls in cute dresses. It is about more hope than we can handle. If you have not died how can you understand, how can you believe in resurrection? You know, I guess we would like for every day to be Easter because we love the celebration and we like to win, but nobody wants to die to get there. Easter means that until we really learn to give our lives away, to practice dying, To ourselves and to one another, we will never really experience new life. Maybe we cannot really believe resurrection because we have misunderstood what victory really means. Have you misunderstood?
1: And there you have it. The only way to experience resurrection, the only way to truly live, is to practice dying. Jesus spent his whole life doing just that. He spent a lifetime practicing dying so that when his time came, he was prepared, not ready, but prepared because he had been practicing. I feel bad for all of those folks across the world who really only know the story that I read earlier. Don't get me wrong, it's a doozy of a story. And it's the foundational story of our Christian faith. We are people of resurrection good news. It's just that there are a ton of other stories that lead up to this story, kind of like the four pages leading up to the final page of a sermon. It's just all of those stories set the stage for this ending. And those stories are so rich and full of resurrection good news too. I just hate that there's so many people that don't ever hear those stories. All of the best stories give witness to Jesus practicing dying. It goes all the way back to the beginning. To his parents who whisked him away from the murderous attempt on his life by Herod to getting lost from his parents as a boy because he was busy asking questions of the rabbis in the temple. Then he hung out with his crazy cousin, John the Baptizer, and even practiced dying symbolically as he stood in line among the followers of John in that river Jordan and heard words, maybe something akin to the way we say it in our baptismal waters, buried in the likeness of death. Raised to walk in the newness of life. Then risking life and limb in those moments with the tempter and having the willpower and fortitude to say no. No to power and prestige. No to control and clout. And it was in those beginning moments of his ministry. Back in his hometown of Nazareth, in the synagogue of his childhood, that he defined what it would look like to practice dying when he read from the scroll the words of the prophet Isaiah proclaiming that his work would be to bring good news to the poor and release to the captives and sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free. And if you do all of those things, it will kill you. But when you bring that kind of life to another beloved child of God, when you bring good news to the poor and release to the captives and sight to the blind and when you let the oppressed go free, that is resurrection good news. And you know in that scene in Nazareth, in that synagogue of his childhood, after he said those things, they ran him right out of town. That was when they wanted to hurt him bad. And then for three years, Jesus showed us for all time what resurrection is really all about. All the times he broke through boundaries and touched people that were unclean and made them whole. And all the times he talked with people to whom he should not have been speaking. It was sometimes scandalous for him to do that. He risked his life and his reputation to make people feel welcomed and loved. And all the times that he calmed the storms of people's lives. And all the times that he risked forgiving, 70 times, 7 times he said, you would have to do that. And all the times he broke the laws of dogmatic religion in order to bring liberation. And all the times he looked people's demons square in the eye and cast them out so that people might live fully and freely. And then there were all the times he said, don't be afraid. When you know good and well, they had every reason to live in fear. And all the people that he raised from the dead, they were dead, I tell you. And you do recognize that so many people all around you, some sitting right here in the room with us today, are dead inside. Dead, I tell you. And he breathed life back into them and told them that they were good and wonderful and worthy and loved. What about all the people he fed and the naked that he clothed and to the thirsty he gave something to drink? And all the stories he told about how to tend one another and how to serve God In all of those cases, there was something required of giving self away for the sake of another. And all he has asked us to do is to practice dying with him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Resurrection is an invitation to practice dying. So that you might truly live. Now, you see what I've done there? It was a little bit of trickery. For any of you that are Easter Sunday onlys, and all you've ever heard on a day like today is finding the tomb empty, I've just walked you through the entire gospel account of the good news of Jesus Christ from birth to resurrection. He gave his life away, and the answer to misunderstanding victory is that it's not all about winning, it's all about dying. You cannot experience life unless you know about death. Joy is sweeter because we understand sorrow And the best news on this Easter Sunday is that resurrection is not just possible, but it's happening all the time. In my Sunday school class alone this morning, we went around the table and people told their come-to-life stories, how they were living models of resurrection good news. If you are looking for it, you will find it, but sometimes you have to dig to find resurrection stories. Sometimes you have to dig deep within yourself and deep among the troubles of this world. But we are Easter people every single day if we are dying to find new life. May it be so. Amen.